Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 141. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, guest I've wanted to have on for a long time, Elliot, the Fire Marshal. Elliot, how are you doing? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Thanks for having me on, man. Not bad, man. I'm glad to have you here. It's so cool talking to you because I've been following your career since... Basically, I started jujitsu. I mean, like everyone who gets into this sport, you know, one of the first things that you get turned on to when you start jujitsu is you start looking into MMA if you haven't already. And I remember like being a white belt and watching you on television, man. So it is so cool and surreal to be able to have you on the show. And thanks for having me on. It's, you know, we're all just human beings walking through our space that we get to have all the kinds of different experiences. So it's one of those things where I know. I hear that sometimes, you know, people are like, man, I've been watching you forever. And and that's very cool to me. And, you know, at the same time, we're all just human beings trying to do our thing. Yeah. So one of the things I love about where you're at these days is you've achieved something that I think a lot of martial artists, especially those who are full-time competitors, they don't really have a roadmap or a, a skill set to do, which is when it's time to hang it up, you've transitioned to the next level in life, you know, you're, you've moved into leadership. You do a lot of speaking, a lot of coaching, you know, you operate at a very, very successful gym. And that's not a roadmap that people in our sport are equipped to do. We're always telling people, you know, go and put it all into competition and win those medals. And then when it becomes time to hang it up, people are often lost. And I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of really great competitors who just drop off the map as soon as they, they retire from their competitive life because they just weren't ready and prepared for what it's like to mature and go to the next level. And I'd love to hear more about your story and your mindset and how you operate because you've been through this, you know, you're as good an example as anyone competing at the highest levels in a, a very public setting and then transitioning into the role of an entrepreneur. And I'd love to just hear more about your story and how you do it. I got very lucky. Let's, let's start there. Where do we start? So, you know, my competitive days ended after my Brandon Vera fight, you know, my professional competitive days, and that was UFC 237. And where I say I got very lucky, the first thing was there was no break. There was no time in between that fight and the next thing. I lost that fight. And then literally that was a Saturday. And then a Tuesday, on Tuesday, I had already had an appointment scheduled for looking at the building to purchase that the Denver school is now in. And it was right there for me. There was no, and I think that's the biggest setback for most fighters or, you know, or any professional athlete is what do I do tomorrow? Mm -hmm. You know, because 
you were working on your sport and, and, and whatever activity you were, you were doing, and then, you know, you retire or it's over. And what do you do tomorrow? You, you know, if you're lucky and you have a little, I don't even think it's lucky, man, to be honest with you. If you have some money at the end of that, you don't have to have something to do tomorrow. But I think that's just as bad as not having money at the end of it and not having something to do tomorrow. Like you must have something to do tomorrow. So that's where my, there was no gap for me. So this is where I think we fail our athletes, especially in jujitsu. I mean, I'm not a multi-sport athlete, so I can't speak for others. But in jujitsu, there is such a drive to almost like a factory mindset of creating champions, getting your students on the podium. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. But we don't equip them well with the tools of life beyond that. And I think a lot of it is because for instructors, most instructors got where they are, especially the big ticket guys. They got where they are because they were competitors. And so it is logical to them to expect their students to follow in their footsteps. And so they give their students the tools to try to win on the mats and to medal. But I mean, it is it is a very interesting career, a career where you ultimately peak and retire, you know, probably sometime in your 30s, which is very young as a guy who works a desk job. I can't relate to that, right? I mean, my career path. (laughs) Just starting. Yeah, it's intended to take me till the days when I'm done. And I think that we fail to look at martial arts the same way, because really that, that it should be what your competitive prime is. It should be giving you the skills in preparation to transfer them to the next generation, because that's when you really start making the money is when you can actually sell your skills. And I feel like that's an area where we, we underserve our team. Well, where we really, and where we underserve them this year, exactly right, is that we make them these great competitors and whoever they are. And then what next after their competitive days are over? And now all of a sudden they are, they become like the same, like my students, they become your competitor because all they know is jujitsu. And they're like, oh, I'm just going to open a school. And then, and then you start to have this riff of, oh, whoa, whoa, what do you mean you're going to open a school? Where are you going to open a school? And they're like, I'm going to open a school right over there. And you're like, no, I'm right <laughs> over there. Right. And this is the problem, right? So yeah, yeah. look, what we do, that's not the case with us. You, we teach you, you learn how to teach. <laughs> like you learn how we have steps along the way during your competitive days, during, you know, during my competitive days, I was always teaching so that no matter what happened, I could always fall back on this skill. For example, my best, you know, my most, successful competitor, Anna, um, a little a girl that I have, she is an amazing teacher, an amazing teacher. And she learned, we, I've taught her also how to teach because it's going to end. And then I don't want her to go have to open another school. I want to do it with her. So that's our, that is like the Easton model, which nobody else has, has done very successfully or even close to, I would say, is we have careers for people. You know, I have a, we have 150 employees, 150 employees, 40, probably 40 to 50 of them full-time employees, um, CEO, vice presidents, general managers of all the schools, you know, and we, we have a way to take you from the cleaner or the intro class teacher to being the general manager of the school. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's important because most people, when they run a gym, they don't think beyond it's me and maybe one of my blue belts that I'm paying a few bucks on the mm-hmm, side and mm-hmm. we're going to teach some jujitsu. There is no thought as to what kind of business skills yeah. you're going to need to have, how you run HR at an enterprise of scale, how you know you're hiring the right people, what to do when there is a dispute. And yeah, how do you retain people? Because for any real career and everyone needs to have some sort of career, there has to be a growth path or people are going to leave. So I always find it funny 
when instructors, they they train their students and they promote them up and they promote them to brown and then to black belt. And they're just shocked when these people go and open their own gyms. Like, how could you do this to me? It's like, well, buddy, I got to pay the bills. Yeah, I want to <laughs> live a life. Right. I, I want to live a life and you don't just want to live a life. Everyone wants to live a life. They don't want to be beholden to you. There's two things that, that answer that question for you. And this is what we really work on at Easton. This is what we work on with our business coaching at Easton online is one is core values. That's the very, very first thing is you have to have core values. What will you lose friends and money over? And that way it's not just about you. It's about the team and the team comes up with the core values. I didn't come up with our core values. We sat down together and we came up with, with, with core values. Then we have our purpose. Like, why, why do you exist? And everyone goes, Oh, I exist so that we can, uh, you know, uh, teach martial arts and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's such a basic thing. It's like, no, man, why do you exist? It's deeper than that. It's a deeper question of why, why, why is your school there? And then after that, look, it comes down to something real simple. You just got to pay. We have to pay the employees. <laughs> You mean I shouldn't just get my bluebells to teach the kids class? No, no. My CEO, my CEO makes money. You know, he makes real money over $150,000 a year. Like, why would he think about leaving me? A car. He's got a car. He's got health insurance. You know, he owns two houses. <laughs> why would he do that? Why? <laughs> because the risk is so high, right? When you, when you become, and, and he has pieces of the school. Like he has profit sharing. He has bits of ownership. Two of my GMs have bits of ownership of us, like small, small pieces of like the actual thing because we're in this together. So, and it's such a scary thing, like with, with instructors the, and people are like, oh man, everyone's going to leave me. You are right. They will leave you because they will need to move on if there's not a place for them and if there's not some upward mobility for them where they're like, yo, this is, the, I, I could literally work here for the rest of my life and have a family and have kids and all that stuff because it's such an important thing. So yeah. And then, and then it just becomes, how do you, you know, how do you do that skillfully? How, how do you have more income to the school, more revenue to the school skillfully and also give it out that this is the big piece here is, is you, you must pay. Like, for example, our revenue for, for all of the Eastern Academies, is, it's upwards of, you know, we're getting close to $7 million in revenue and we pay, we, we pay a lot. And that's, that's just what it comes down to for us because I want, and we can get into the story of how we, how I got here personally. I want my instructors and everyone that works for me, like, and especially a couple of people to live as great of a life as I do. And the only way to do that is to have a have a skillful school where you have everything competitors and mom pops and hobbyists and kids and and it's run skillfully so how do you do that i would love to learn more about this because this is i think another very common problem most gyms fall into they mm -hmm. look at creating courses for competitors but what they fail to realize is that at the average gym you know 99% of your students are not going to be serious competitors. In right. fact, many of them, probably the majority, will never compete ever. They do it because it's fun. And I think this is a, a big swing and a miss in the jiu-jitsu community is that we, we cater to competitors at the expense of people who just want to use jiu-jitsu as a way to improve their lives. Other right. martial arts are, tend not to be so bad about this. They are respectful and welcoming of the hobbyist, whereas in jiu-jitsu, 
it's unusual to find a gym that actually takes their hobbyists seriously, even though those are the people who are ultimately paying the bills most of the time. Right. The competitors don't pay. So, so how do you focus on the hobbyists and get, and get mm -hmm. the competitors, right? That becomes the question that most people want to see themselves, you know, with their student on the podium, because, you know, it's like the, it's like the dad who couldn't make it. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so he's so hard on his kid to make it. Uh, you're not screaming at me, you know, you, you see that a, a lot. Uh, what do you do? You have to run a business. So how do you run a business? It's actually really simple. You, you follow up with people. <laughs> you, you have a system, right? Of just like John Donahar's back system, right? You and his leg lock system. There's a system of how you go through it, of how you enter the legs and, and then expose the heel and then keep the knee line like and move on to the next piece of the system, right? His whole BJJ Fanatics thing that made him and BJJ Fanatics huge, it's called enter the system, right? Mm -hmm. So do the same thing with your school. Make systems. How do you answer the phone? How do you follow up with the lead? How do you speak skillfully? How do you sell skillfully so that it doesn't sound, you don't sound like a, a used carman where the, you know, where the, it's, it's sign up now. And then once you get them in the class, how do you structure the class? Do you have this, I, this one kills me. Do you have a curriculum where the first, I'll let it go on advanced class a little bit. It doesn't need to be as strict, but you know, your fundamentals and your intermediate level classes, you need a curriculum, a curriculum that you follow that every single instructor teaches just like you do. Not like, ah, man, what are we going to do today? Ah, uh, side control. Uh, cool. And then tomorrow, um, you know, pass the guard. Nobody gets good like that. You have to do the same thing for a while to get decent at it. Do you have a system of how you teach? Do you sit, have a system of how you promote people? Do you understand that people need some type of reward? Are you welcoming? Are you allowing, you know, dudes to have their shirts off all the time and the instructors to sleep with the students and, you know, all these things, I'm just, I'm just rattling off all the, all the ju classic jujitsu mistakes here of schools. Do you, as the owner of the school, sleep with the students? Like, you know, the females, like I, it doesn't just ruin the female culture. It ruins the culture. You, you can't do this. It's, uh, and it's rampant in our community. Would you agree? It always baffles me how not only is this accepted in jujitsu where the instructor sleeps with the students, but that so many instructors almost view it as a perk of the job. It is, and I think that really goes to show just how woefully immature this martial art is from a business sense. I mean, if yeah. you went to literally any other job in the world, in any environment, and all of the managers looked at the, one of the big perks of being a manager is that they could sleep with their employees. They would be like fired as soon as that came to light. Now, look, I have nothing wrong. In the jujitsu world. It's allowed. Yeah. It's totally allowed. I have nothing wrong. Like if you come to me, if you're one of my instructors, Steve, and you're like, look, there's this person. I, I really think we have something, you know, I'm not going to be like, no, I'll be like, man, it, it, and, and I'm going to have to hear it from her too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that she, she is in agreement that she would like to pursue this route, but you don't get to do it every other month. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, Oh, I got another one that I think I'm just in love with, man. Oh, really? Yeah. Last month. So, and look, I, I'll never say no. Right. Like you can make your own decisions and, and do what you want. You just might not be able to work for me. Mm -hmm. That's not, it's not very safe for all of the other students 
females, you know, for example, that are in your school, if they're like looking at being plucked, mm-hmm. even before that, you know, there are so many other things, even before the, like the, the sexual stuff. Look, do you follow up with people correctly when you want to talk about like increasing your revenue? Like, do, do you have a system for that? Are you, or are you just shoot ready aim and, and think you're doing very, very well because it seems as though everyone that walks in the door signs up. But then when you actually track the numbers and you, you track and go, okay, how many leads did I have this month? How many people set appointments this month? How many people? How many of those appointments actually showed up this month and how many of those appointments that showed up signed up and you look at the percent and you look at the numbers. Now you can say that you're either skillful or not skillful. And sometimes you can then say, look, okay, I'm skillful at getting leads, but I'm not skillful at setting appointments. Yes, I'm very skillful at once the appointment is set, getting them to the sale, but I have this big gap in between the lead and the appointment setting. So that means two things. You're either getting very, very unqualified leads, you know, you're advertising weight loss or, you know, boot camp, you know, lose all, you know, whatever else people do to get Facebook leads these days, you know, so those are unqualified leads, or you're not doing a skillful job of following up with people to set the appointment. Now, look, this is just an example, but that's a, it's, it's a real thing. Like, and that's something that I'm seeing more and more with, as I talk to more school owners that they have no clue how to follow up with the lead. And it, and it's, it's a business, man. You can't, you can't let money walk out the door. You, but and at the same time, money's not the, not the end all be all. And it's, it's a balance and a play of, of what that feels like. Look, we don't believe in contracts. Nobody signs a contract with us. And I, this is people, when we tell them, when I tell them this, they're like, how do you make people pay? And my simple answer is, are you married? And you know, most of the guys or people say yes. I'm like, do you stay with your wife because of that legal document you have? Or do you stay with your wife because you love her? Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, well, I love her. And I'm like, all right, that document doesn't mean shit, right? And then they're like, yeah, well, no. And I'm like, what are you going to do? Take someone to collections? <laughs> you, think, like, this, this, you think that's good business, taking people to collections? No, nobody takes anybody to collections. So then what's the point of having somebody you know, sign a piece of paper that says it's $500 if you cancel and blah, blah, blah? Give me a break. You show, if now this is, now this is the, another side of the business, you know, you better show up and teach that class. Like it's the most important time that you have because it is somebody's actually choosing to spend that time with you. And if somebody's choosing this time to spend that time with you, then there's so many other things that any human being could do with their life. But the fact that any of my students choose to show up every, every Tuesday and Thursday, when I teach my classes, man, I bet I better be on my A game. I better be on my A game and I better put, put aside whatever else is going on in my life, you know, put my cell phone down, don't go sit on the wall and I better give them every single thing they have because it is not their privilege to be learning from Elliot Marshall, the, the jiu-jitsu champion, the UFC fighter, the blah, 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 whatever else you want to, whatever other accolades that you want to put behind my name. It is my privilege that any single person in this whole world will choose to spend an hour with me. Yeah, I... I love that mindset because I've seen instructors of all types, right? I mean, I've seen instructors who mm-hmm. are incredibly attentive. My instructor, if I've if I'm gone for a week, I always get a text message just checking in to make sure I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that he cares. My previous instructor could not have given less of a shit, <laughs> and, which is why he's my previous instructor, right? And right. this is very common in in jujitsu. I think that instructors don't understand the importance of 
the sales process, not just the initial sale and acquisition of the lead and getting them to convert, but the fact that you're always having to sell, you're always having to prove your worth. It's not sufficient to just get the person to sign a contract and assume they'll be there forever. You got to worry about retention and churn. I mean, these, yeah. these are real things, right? I, it's funny. I work in an industry where people are always going on about retention and churn, and I never thought about it. But now that I do this stuff myself, like it fucking kills me every time I look at the number and see that someone's canceled their account or something. Right. Because it means that I, I mean, yeah, sure, there could be external factors, but it also means that to some extent I failed somewhere along the way. Right. And when that happens, I always try to follow up because I want to know what, you know, what happened? Is there a way I can still continue to help you if this was a financial problem or consideration? Did I do something wrong? And that process of constantly reaching out and following up with people all the way through the customer process is something that I don't think comes naturally to martial arts people. I think that unfortunately we tend to look at sales as like a, oh, it's a sleazy practice, but it, it's not. It's about providing the best quality service you can and humanizing the people that you're doing business exactly. with. You should always want to talk to them. And I feel like we don't know how to do that in this sport. Yeah, no, because it's, it wasn't taught to us, right? Because, you know, the way and, you know, we're still, we're out of the dark ages, you know, of jiu-jitsu where like, you know, we were proving its worth and, and now everyone knows the worth and how great jiu-jitsu is. But it, it's how do you, how do you keep, how do you keep a student? You know, after the sales part. So the sales part is one thing. And then it's how do you keep a student? And the way that we see keeping a student is nobody stays and nobody pays for the, the martial art. Everyone pays for the life journey, the community that that is built, your friends, everything about the school. When you walk into that school and you see a piece of trash on the floor, you pick it up. And no, you're not getting paid. You know, you're not the janitor, but it's it's the atmosphere of the school. Now, look, I'm not saying... You know, I curse when I teach and sometimes and like I, I am I am very an alpha person. I, I am charismatic. You know, I, I have an energy about me. So we're not like all walking on eggshells calling me master, you know, or calling them all like, you know, whatever. But there, there is a level of respect that has to occur in the school. There's a level of intensity and then it's a balance. And, there, and there's a level of, look, this is my place. You know, this is my place. When, when, when the pandemic hit people paid us still and we made no promises we weren't like oh we'll pay you back or oh we'll make it cheaper because you can't if you did that you killed yourself right like mm -hmm. like you, you can't because if you'll be paying that back forever we who knew how long this was going to last if it was one month okay sure i'll pay everyone back right but if it's <laughs> what it was then you can't pay everyone back but people paid and the reason that people paid was because they they not want it to be there. They need it to be there. They need the school to be there when this all ends. And that's a, that's a big difference. You know that that's not no nobody paid their twenty four hour fitness membership. It was the first thing you canceled, right? Like yeah. like you're like, yep, all right, I'll buy some dumbbells and work out in my garage. But you know, with jiu-jitsu, sure, we all worked out in our garages or in the park or wherever, whatever it is we we could find to to train still. But we kept paying our memberships because why? If you ran a if you ran a skillful school, anyway, I would say, because you need the school to be there, and not because you're trying to be a champion, because you're you know a dad with two kids and a wife and a job, and this is your place. You're a mom who does kickboxing or muay thai or jujitsu, you know, and and this is your place where you get away and you get you get a break for a second, and your people are there. 
you know, and, and that is, that is what we need to be doing with our jujitsu schools. So what, what is the process of doing that? And again, I'm going to come back to it. You must set core values. What are you willing to lose friends and money over? You know, and, and then you work from there. What are your core values? What are your purpose? Where are you going? You know, and people mess this piece up with their lives too. We, we do these new year's resolutions, right? And every year, oh, this, but you, you man, I, I have on my board right to my left over here, Steve, where I want to be in 10 years. What do I want for my life? To, what do I want my life to look like in 10 years? What do I want it to look like in five years and three years and one year? And then from there, during, what do I have to do this quarter to make my life hit my one-year goals, which would then help to lead to my three-year, five-year, 10-year? You have to have a North Star in your life and you have to have a North Star in your business. Where are you going? What's the, what's the goal? I want employees. I want 250 employees. Why? Not because I look, I, I don't make that much more money personally as the school owner per school. It does it doesn't really affect my life. But it what it does is it it creates opportunity for people. It creates opportunity for my blue belt right now who's not quite ready yet, right? But I can see them and, and we have, you know, thirty of them. So sure, some of them won't pan out. I understand that. That are, that are working their way up. Okay, give them the skills to teach, give them the skills how to do the admin stuff, and if it works out, boom, okay, now we open a school. Let me ask you a question here on the topic of core values, because I agree that having these in place is absolutely critical to really any sort of long-term strategy that you want to have, but it's also very easy for people to dismiss core values as being cheap or just things up on the wall. Most companies fail utterly to set core values usefully because what they do is they'll get their marketing and comms team to come up with a list and they'll print it up on the wall somewhere and it just becomes a joke to most employees because it has no reflection on what happens on the ground. And I would love to dig deeper into your strategy here for how you build effective core values. You already mentioned a few things like they come from the team themselves and they're not an edict from top down. But I'd love to know in practice, how do core values, how do you make them and how do they actually on the ground influence the direction of the business? Yeah, number one, they don't go on the wall. (laughs) Because if they go on the wall, you're right. It's just on the wall. Oh, look, those are our core values. You need to be able to walk into any one of my schools right now and ask any one of my students that's been there for at least a year, you know, what are the core values of this school? And they'll never say the actual words. They'll start to say sentences, but then you'll be like, oh yeah, that's that one. Oh, okay. That's that you have. So you have to live by them. And if you're not living by them, then you won't fit in. You won't make it as an employee. So is they don't go on the wall. If you put those things on the wall, you're fake. You're as fake as fake can be because now you think you don't have to live by them and you're trying to tell people what the core values are. You have to treat it like parenting. What do your kids do as you know, at first they do what you say you have kids. Yeah. You have, right. At first they just do what you say. They're young enough. They have to, they don't know any different. And then what do you start to see? They start to do what you do. They start to act how you act rather than, you know, go, okay, daddy says do the dishes, but daddy never does the dishes. Daddy says, you know, clean my room, but his room's a mess. So, okay, I'm going to have my room be a mess. That, you know, that, that starts to end, right? That does, it has with my kids. How about with yours? Yeah. Mine's, uh, mine's four. So we're still a little bit early, but definitely yeah, he's doing, yeah. You're okay. It's going to end, <laughs> right? They, everyone does. <laughs> Think about what you did. You started doing what your parents did rather than what yeah. your parents said. Every, everyone knows this. 
So then it's just, that's just a reflection of, of what you're, what they are. And again, I didn't dictate the core values. My team did. My leadership team dictated the core values. We not dictated, we set the core values. And then after that, we just started spreading the message. You know, we just started spreading the message and we just started living up to them. And it's super simple. If you have high employee turnover, you're not living up to your core values. If you have a lot of retention issues, you're not living your core values, you're not building a community. So you might have to go and revamp them or see how you're doing. And, you know, you got to get rid of people that don't follow the core values. Now, not right away, you know, but if it's a consistent or egregious enough thing, sucks. Yeah, that's an important part. And you touched on this earlier. I love the way that you describe core values because people always say, oh, you know, core values are what's in your heart and what you truly believe. But your definition was core values are what you're willing to lose friends and people over. And I think that's a great and money, a great way to think about it and money. Yeah, because you're saying here is the line that that we tow that we don't cross. And you're phrasing it in such a way that you're acknowledging that core values mean sacrifice, because by setting core values, not only are you saying what you are and what you represent, but you're also saying what you will not tolerate. And by saying that there is an implicit contract that you will actually follow through and not tolerate those things if you see them. And not tolerate them. And then look, you have to you have to take a hard look at yourself. And and, and I had to take a hard look at myself of, you know, how am I improving as a human? Where where am I leveling up? Where am I falling short? And now look, it's okay to be falling short. That's you know, and we and this is where the other side of what I do a lot of with my time is, is the, is a personal growth thing. You must be improving as the, as the leader. If you want to lead people, you, what are you doing to improve yourself? That's a massive question. What did you do today? What did you do today to be a more skillful human? So that not that people will follow you, but you'll inspire someone to be even more skillful than you. And this is, and this leads to another major problem in the jujitsu community is we're so afraid of our students to be better than us. Oh, yes. Yes. To the point where sometimes instructors will punish their students yeah. if they start to be able to actually hold their own, right? And it's it's really embarrassing, unfortunately. And it really explains why people leave, why they leave their gyms, why they start competing gyms, because right. they would be fools to stay in an environment like that. And what are you doing to make them better than you? What kind of teacher are you? What what kind of teacher are you if you can't make someone more skillful than you? Mm-hmm. What's the matter with you? And I mean, like, look, I guess if you're Hajar, <laughs> you know, that, that might be very hard, <laughs> right? But like, you know, before there was Hajar, there was Henzo. And then what did Henzo do? Henzo made Hajar. I mean, Hajar's better than Henzo. Just the way it is. It's younger, yeah. stronger, bigger. It's what it is. And But that's okay. But does anybody love Henzo less? No, right? No, never. Why would they? Does it? But it, but again, that all will come down to the culture that you create. If you create a dog eat dog culture, if you only promote people based on who who it is they can smash. Now again, there's a slippery slope, right? You don't just promote people. You know, you know we're, we're not selling belts here. I'm not I'm not saying that at all. But if the only way that you promote people is based on how who they can smash, you're creating a dog eat dog scenario. Do you tap to your students? Do you train with your students in a way where they beat you sometimes? Even the ones that that you're way better than, you're blue belts. Are you losing to them because you're showing somebody how to get better because you're going to work on something? 
You know, I'm for me, for example, um, I'm working on my arm bar escape, not not like protecting the arm with the elbow bent. I'm working on my arm straight, locked out, end game, end game arm bar escapes. I've got it really good on my right side. My right side's pretty money. I haven't been armbarred on my right side for a while. And yes, sure, I haven't trained with like Bushesha or <laughs> somebody, right? You know, <laughs> but you know, I've got it pretty decently on my right side. My left side's not as good. So what am I doing right now? Every I'm not allowed to tap somebody. I am not allowed to go offensive until I escape an armbar on my left side. Well, what you're bringing up there is also a great example of having targeted training and Another reflection, I think, of how people, and this again reflects on the instructors, yes. how people sometimes don't maximize their time on the mats is they just show up and roll. But they won't do it if you're not doing it, Steve. They won't do exactly. it. Exactly. Right? If you're not showing it, right? If you're not if you're not the leader in how to do it. Now, look, the only way you're going to do it is if you got your ego in check. And this is this is how it ties to the personal growth thing, right? If mm-hmm. is if you have your own human who you are as a person. You, you must know who you are. You must have the definitions of what it means to be Elliot, my perspective here, so that nothing, no outside event can touch you. And like somebody tapping you when it doesn't matter, class, somebody tapping you when it does matter, competition. But still to this, it doesn't touch who you are as a human so that you can give your space the room to then really try to improve. Because if if everything is touching you as a person, then how could you ever fail? You can't accept failure, can you? Because that's going to destroy who the human Elliot is. Yeah, yeah. It is a sad truth that there's a lot of ego on the mats, especially with instructors. This is a myth that I, I like to challenge. People always say that jujitsu kills the ego. And my answer is it can kill the ego, but it can also make your ego a lot worse. It's just going to make you a bolder and more confident version of who you are. That's what jujitsu does. If you come onto the mat and you're humble and you want to learn, jujitsu can be that practice that makes you better. But if you're a bully, you know, jujitsu might just give you the confidence to be a bigger bully. So I think that we assume that jujitsu is always going to result in ego death, but that's not always the case. It's something that everyone has to work at is controlling our ego, you know, accepting our limitations and being humble, not being afraid to lose or look bad in front of students. I mean, the best instructors I've always had were instructors who were more than happy to tap out to their students. And we're thrilled when that happened because that is the ultimate symbol of the instructor. I mean, I would go so far as to say, if you walk into a gym and you're looking for a new gym and the instructor is just running a freight train all over every single student in the class. I, I'm not sure that's always a good thing. I'm not sure that's a designation that this is a good place to train. No. Look, and, and I'm going to take this to the, a personal level here. It, it did not destroy my ego at first. It, it did exactly what you said. The world came, the universe came and, ha- and, and forced me to have my ego destroyed so that I could be more skillful. I it, it, it was a, a process and what I like to call a mental breakdown slash spiritual awakening a couple of years ago, 2016, actually, that led to this idea of like, okay, hold on, Elliot, what are you doing with your life here? And this was after, after my retirement, after the schools were already successful, I had to go through this process of like, uh, you know, rebuilding myself and really figuring out what, what does it mean to be me and how is it that I can most benefit every single human being that I have the privilege and the opportunity of coming in contact with, because that is really, that's the goal for me. Yeah. I, I'd love to learn more about this here. I'd love to learn more about this, this story of yours where 
you had sort of an internal reckoning because that's something that I can relate to. And I think most people who take jujitsu or really any somewhat competitive endeavor for a long time, they will probably be forced into this. And that's not something that you're guaranteed to experience in life. If you work at a, at a pretty low key job, I mean, you can wind up working your entire career without ever really being truly faced with the mirror where you have to really evaluate who you are. But one of the benefits of a competitive endeavor like jujitsu is it's very hard to lie to yourself or to put off the bad days, right? Because you, you know, if you're going in there and you're getting smashed, it's going to happen right to your face while everyone's watching. And I'd love to learn more about this experience of yours where you had to rebuild yourself. That's something that I find to be just a tremendously interesting process and practice. Yeah. So, you know, this story is kind of long. It starts as a, you know, who I was born to. I was born in 1980 to uh, an African-American dad, a black dad, and a Jewish mom whose parents survived the Holocaust and who I spent a ton of time with. So the idea that I wasn't other, so you have to remember, this is 40 years ago now, guys. Right. This wasn't a thing, really. There weren't many interracial marriages and, you know, there weren't many. There was nobody else like me in my town. I grew up in a very small town in South Jersey. When we moved to this town, my house was spray painted with, you know, Niger's go home. Eventually they got the word right the next couple times. Swastikas all over my house, you know, you know, like vandalized and, and I was just an other. So I fit in nowhere. Um, where, where it got to it, but I, the only place I fit in was this martial arts arena. You know, I, I was always, you know, I was doing karate back then and I, I hear about this jujitsu stuff. My friend, John Hassett, I don't know if you know, John Hassett, he started doing this jujitsu stuff. He shows me, he beats me up first and then shows me some jujitsu. And then I'm still very unpopular, a little, you know, at school, I have no friends. And when I say I have no friends, everyone kind of says that, but like, you know, what do you think? If you think back to high school, what are your favorite times? Walk through the halls with your homies, right? Lunchtime, re- you know, all those kind of things. Well, those were the worst times for me because no one walked with me and I sat alone at lunch. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I didn't even get to sit at the, the dork table. I sat like by myself with the other two rejects, you know, there's, you know, and whatever it was. So that was just my life. And then I, I learned some of this jujitsu stuff over the summer in between my sophomore, I'm sorry, my junior and senior year. And I go back and I'm talking about it a little bit and it's, you know, it's like wrestling. And then some of the wrestlers, two state champions were like, yeah, we'll smash you. And I'm like, okay, smash me. Let's see. Well, they didn't smash me. And then people hear about it, right? Elliot starts to gain a little popularity. Like people start to like Elliot. I happen to lose a little weight at this time, you know? I think I kissed a girl for the first time, (laughs) you know, like, and I'm like, and what am I doing? I'm associating this fighting thing, this being great at fighting thing with, with people accepting me as a human. So I'm like, okay, here I go. I better get really good because if I get really good and if I fight in the UFC and that's really cool, then yeah, people will like me and I'll be accepted as a person. So the two things got tied. And then, you know, we can watch my whole career. You can, I think everything's on YouTube or on Fight Pass. Yeah, wasn't the best. But every time for me that I was fighting, I wasn't just fighting to win a fight. I was, I was fighting for this acceptance as a human being in the world. Like, okay, people will like me. People will be okay with who it is that Elliot is. And then when I would win, I'd be a little more bravado, a little more yada yada because, you know, I was trying to hide this devil, this demon that was beat down inside of me, this anxiety that I had my whole entire life, you know, these panic attacks that I would have and, and the sleepless nights. And I was trying to keep that away from people. And then, uh, you know, uh, 
my fighting career ends. Obviously, I'm not the best. So you start talking even louder because you have to hide it in some way, right? Or I had to hide it in some way. And then, you know, it cracked. I couldn't hold it. And I have a break and a spiritual awakening. And, and this is where the whole school thing kind of started too. And they, they, it's all kind of tied because I was in a really, really bad way. I couldn't sleep. And I had two friends. One of them's now the CEO and the other one's a uh, vice president, one of the GMs of the school. And man, and, 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 and their brother, he would, they would stay up with me all night long. I mean, like I would run downstairs, have a panic attack and they, they'd walk, talk me through the panic attack. And then if, you know, some nights I would fall asleep on the phone with them and some nights we'd just be up on the phone, sometimes quiet and silent, sometimes talking, but they were up all night long with me sometimes. And I got through it nine months, you know, nine months of, of that, you know, like a month straight of the talking of, of, of being on the phone with them. And, you know, they saved my life, you know, and, you know, and some other things, therapy, a great doctor, medicine, thing, you know, things that really, I got very lucky. Again, this is, this is the luck of my life, Steve, that I talked about earlier. One of my best friends, he's a, he's my doctor. So like when, 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 when I cracked at my worst, it was a Friday night at five o'clock and I guess it was either get admitted to a hospital, which I didn't have to, because I could call him. And he was able to start this process of taking care of me immediately, you know, getting me some meds to calm down and sleep where normally like, I don't know, can you call your doctor at 5, 5 p.m. on a Friday? <laughs> I, I'm not even sure I can call my doctor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Most people can't. I have his cell phone number, right? He answers my phone. So, and, and then immediately, like I went to Walgreens 20 minutes later and then, and then, okay, there it was. So that was the start of it. Then I had these friends that helped me through this, you know? And they were working for me at the time too. They were already, they were just GMing the schools. And that's when, that's when I had this like, okay, man, they saved my life. I have to make theirs, right? So I, I have to mm -hmm. get them to be living an amazing, as amazing of a life with all of the opportunities that I have. And then that, that idea, the inception of that idea that just grew in our minds and in the three of our minds, you know, was like, how can we really, really touch a human soul and the way that, and, and. Our passion, all of us, is martial arts, is jujitsu. That was the common thing, you know, and we were already running the schools. So how how can you really, really touch a human soul? And so this, you know, and then it was just there, you know, and then and, and this personal growth and and figuring out what does it mean to be Elliot? Like what 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 is that? And and how do I separate the the things, the events, even the things that I do skillfully, you know, because if the Things that you do skillfully and the things that you do really well, quote unquote, if they make you go up and they raise your status, then when you do bad in, or unskillful, it's going to bring you down, you know? So how can neither end touch me? How can neither end, whether it's really skillful or whether it's really unskillful, how can I use all of that as information? And I know I've come back to this a lot. It really comes back to, do you know who you are? Because when you know who you are, well, I'm going to use Khabib as the example. There was that time in the middle of the fight where he was like talking shit to Dana, you know, and Dana goes, man, you better pay attention to this fight. You might lose it. And Khabib literally just looks at Dana and goes, win or lose, doesn't matter. I know who I am. Mm-hmm. And that was such an, that's such an amazing line because he's saying the result of this really, really important fight. He wants a title shot. You know, it will get him the title shot. Man, it doesn't matter to him. It won't touch who he is as a person. Yeah. Yeah. That's a powerful lesson too. And I think that 
anyone who lives in the public eye and wins or loses in the public eye has to eventually have this reckoning because it's very easy for so much of your sense of identity to get tied up in the results of what you achieve. Yes. And that could be, that could be dangerous, not just for your mental health, but also because it can lead to really poor decision-making because Mm -hmm. if the only thing that you care about is winning, you talked about this earlier in gyms where the students are all trying to crunch each other onto the mats as hard as they can. If the only thing you care about is winning, then you're probably denying yourself the opportunities to actually learn because learning requires you to look bad and look stupid. So that whole process of detangling your sense of identity from your individual accomplishments is just so critical to mental health, to well-being, but also just to building a good practice of personal improvement. And for me, it's every day. Every day, I, I, you know, I, I have a process that I go through. Right when I wake up and that process, you know, happens every day. And I just, you know, remind myself of exactly who I am, you know, and and I go through and I go through it. And at nighttime, you know, I tell everyone in my life that I love them and I take a second so that it removes Elliot, you know, and I can see even, even if I got mad at that person, say, you know, my wife, for example, right? It's so easy to get mad at your spouse because A, B, C, D, a whole host of reasons, right? You know, the, it's a complicated relationship. I, every night I tell her I love her, even without speaking it to, her, I just speak it to the universe. My students, I tell them that I love them. You know, just, I just speak it into the universe so that I remember that the most important things that I have are people in my life. They're never things, you know? So that is the, the true uh, nature of winning, in my opinion, is how much luck dust. Did you go sprinkle on somebody else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. We had uh, Christian Graugard on the podcast a while ago, and he said effectively the exact same thing, which is just the importance of karma and the importance of seeding karma, being a good person, putting positivity out there and helping people, and how the key to success is often to start with karma and to start with giving and to start with being abundant in your mindset. And then eventually that will come back to you and there will be returns. And this is something that I think a lot of people, it, it sounds really hokey. And I understand why people would be turned off by that. But actually, it's really good advice because human beings are reciprocal in nature, right? People look yeah. to you, to your actions, to judge you and to judge how they're going to help you later. We mirror each other right down to the biological level. So it is almost always in your best interests to try to be a good person and to try to move forward with abundance. The only thing I'll maybe subtract from that or go a step farther is can you do it for without the, without the wanting it back piece? Yes. Can you do it when you know it's to your detriment? Can you realize that in, from my perspective, I work with a coach, his name is Salt, that the universe always stays in balance. It will never be, it will never be out of balance. Like a hydrogen atom, it has one one proton and one neutron. If it if it has more, it's something different, <laughs> you know, for the most part, right? Like so, there, you will be in balance. So if a negative happens, then a positive must happen. It might not come back in the same way, right? And it might not even come back to you, but the universe will stay in balance. So I like to add the positive, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That is the true test of living your principles, right? Is whether you're willing to stick with them even when they don't work in your favor anymore. And this is where I think people, they fuck up with personal integrity is they'll say all of these things about what they believe in and what the right thing is to do. But as soon as 
those principles are turned against them and detrimental to them, then suddenly they don't adhere anymore. Right. And that's one of the things about being a good person is you have to hold to your principles even when it doesn't benefit you anymore, even when it may work against you. You don't have integrity unless you still stick to those principles. It's a man. I have a friend. His name is Jay Jack. He actually runs a school up in Maine. He's one of my best friends. And it's not me. We're not, we don't talk often, right? But he has rules, man. He's got, you know, he's got what he's, and he lives by him. He's got what's called a fuck you list. And he's got a guest list. And, (laughs) and, you know, and the fuck you list is this. If you're on my fuck you list, you're on his fuck you list. And it doesn't even matter if I'm right. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm right. Nothing. It doesn't matter to him. I could be dead wrong, but I am his friend and his family, but you know, so therefore he will ride or die with me to the fucking end. And that also, then I also get a guest list in the sense of like, if I say like, for example, my youngest kid has never met Jay, right? I could give my youngest kid Jay's number right now and I could be dead and it could be 10 years from now, let's say. And Jay, if Jay's still alive, he's doing whatever that kid needs. Mm -hmm. Even if that's committing a crime. If my kid really, like, he's not going to go rob a bank with him, right? But if it's like one of those life or death type things where it's like, hmm, this has to happen, he's doing it. And I've seen him do it. So, it's, you know, it's uh, that he lives, he lives by his values. And that's the hard thing, right? It's really, really hard to live by your values. And it's easy on a day-to-day basis because the situations don't come up, right? But when they do, what do you do? And this is where at a business level, it becomes interesting because I don't think people understand how much struggle is involved in actually building a business, especially in the early days when you don't even have any guarantee this thing is going to be viable. It's very easy for people to prioritize just making money and surviving over what they actually believe. And like you said earlier, that kind of dichotomy where you're your beliefs are not being reflected in your actions. It's transparent. Everybody sees it. Right. And everybody can name a gym they've trained at where the instructor Look, might- it's the whole contract thing to me. Exactly, exactly. It's the whole contract thing. You hate your cell phone contract. You fucking can't stand it, right? You can't stand it. What do you mean I'm stuck with you? Yeah. Oh yeah, everyone hates their cell phone contract. What do you mean I'm stuck with you? Well, they're providing you a service. So, okay, but if your service starts to go to shit, why can't I just go to the next person, right? The next cell phone company. And we all complain about that. Every single person I know hates cell phone contracts, right? Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, Verizon and at they found this tricky way to get around it, right? Like they give you the, they put your phone on a payment plan. It's still a fucking contract, yeah. right? You know? So, well, you know, if you want out, you got to buy out the phone, which, which I get, you know, at least you have a, a hard good instead of the contract. But like, why in the world? And everyone goes, oh man, I need my students to commit to me. Man, go fuck yourself. Your students have to commit to you. For what? The example I always give is, would you tolerate this kind of behavior in any other walk of life? Because for some reason in the martial arts, people kind of expect it to be this weird voodoo thing. They, right. you know, they expect the instructor to be a guru on a mountaintop who, uh-huh. who is the, the font of all wisdom. But I always ask people, like, just remember, this gym is a fucking business. It's a business. Would you allow any other business to treat you the way that your gym instructor does? If you went to a Starbucks and they yelled at you and screamed at you because they found out that you'd gone to a Seattle's best last week, 
Would you tolerate that? If they tried to lock you into buying only Starbucks for the rest of the year, would you tolerate that? If they told you that, you know, like it, the list goes on and on. And it could be the best coffee shop in the world. It could be the best coffee shop be. in the world. <laughs> and the second they told me that I could only go there, I'd be like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> you know, it could be I, no. And look, I hate Starbucks. I want. I'm a coffee snob, a total coffee snob. <laughs> So, like, I, I would immediately drive to a Starbucks if the best coffee shop in the world told me I could only go there. Yeah, 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 it is. But that is the thing about gyms. And I don't know if it just comes down to just lack of business education, lack of ethics training. But I see this so often in the jiu-jitsu community where, like you said, instructors are scared of their students. Once their students start to get good enough that they open their own gym, now they're out of the club. I've been told by instructors, I've been ordered in the past, don't talk to that guy anymore. You know, he's he's not part of the team anymore, so you can't talk to him. And it's like, look, I'm a grown-ass man. No one tells me who I can and can't talk to. Just just because you're having a business dispute with someone doesn't mean that's my problem, right? I mean, it to to alienate your own students because you're afraid of them and you're afraid of seeing them succeed, that that kind of scarcity bullshit is like to me when jujitsu really started to evolve and blow up was when that scarcity mindset started to disappear and people started to share their knowledge and communities came to get well they had to the internet came yeah they had to the internet forced that that's actually i mean for all that people love to, to bitch about garbage techniques on youtube the internet was a massive culture change for the martial art because no longer could these instructors ban their students from training elsewhere and no longer could they rely on secret techniques and knowledge that only they had suddenly everything's out there and what you see is the teams that are totally open and transparent and share and they cross train willingly those are the people who clean up when it comes to competition so the results and the output is there collaboration almost always trumps people trying to be selfish and individual look there's two schools in colorado that my students can't train with because the owner of that school was an employee of them all and then screwed him over and then mm -hmm. did, you know so but i'll never say you can't go there like if you say hey elliot i want to go there i'm like cool just, just you're not coming back here <laughs> like but that's a loyalty thing that's a that's a 100 percent like what that human did to my friend that that's a core value of mine mm -hmm. right it has nothing to do with cross training go wherever the fuck you want please Please go wherever the fuck you want. Bring it back and teach it to me if I don't know it. So when you, with this this idea of the student and it, what it all comes down to it again, and and this is where the business and personal link is. If if the if the instructor is not secure in themselves, if they are not holistic and if they're not working on themselves, they are going to be afraid that this person, whoever it is, is going to like the other school, the person will be better than them or the student will become better than them. And then therefore this whole, and you said it, this whole guru thing with the, with the instructor standing on the top of the mountain, it, it crumbles, you know, it crumbles. Mm -hmm. I personally want to be on the top of the mountain. Yes. But I don't want to be there alone is what was very, very important for me. I want everyone, everyone that comes in contact with me to be standing on the top of that mountain with me because armies are so much stronger than single people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things to acknowledge and especially in martial arts where we fail as often we look at black belt professor as being like the guy. We tend to worship the person who's at the top of the pyramid. And I, I think that the big breakthrough for me in terms of getting the most out of the sport was realizing that jujitsu, although it is 
an individual sport when it comes to competition. I mean, no one's going to deny that. You can't, we don't have tag mm-hmm. team jujitsu as far as I know. Mm-hmm. But at the big picture, it's absolutely not an individual sport. And for me, having, yeah, because I also had a similar like existential crisis to what you described. And a big part of what got me through it was the epiphany and the realization that my individual ability is not that important in the grand scheme of things. It is how I interact with the team and what I put back and what principles I I stand behind. Those are the things that, that really matter. There's no obligation for every person in the world to have a whole bunch of, you know, a whole bunch of medals or to have all of these achievements. And it doesn't change who you are if you do or don't have those things. Everyone has different different goals in life. Everyone has different results, sometimes not even their own fault. So it's more important to be true to yourself. And a big part of of that means looking beyond just your individual needs, but also how do you interact with the rest of the team around you? Look, the whole Gordon Ryan thing is going to be very interesting as he ages. Yeah. Right? Like he he gets away with everything that he gets away with. He And look, he puts out amazing material. I buy everything mm-hmm. because it's great material. And but I buy everything everybody's. So um but anyway, <laughs> so it's great, but it's great. It's and he is undoubtedly the best right now. He is currently the best in no gi. Mm-hmm. What's gonna happen when he's not? What's gonna happen to him as a human being when he's not? And all this shit that he says. Right? Yeah. All this bullshit that he spews on the fucking internet that that right now everyone's eating up because he's the best, right? And we give this pass to him and other people because they're the best. What happens when they're not? And we've seen it before. We've seen it with Margarita. Margarita was a total dickhead, right? He was a total dickhead and treated people terribly. And everyone was cool with it when he was the absolute champion, right? And I mean, I don't know. If you were watching me fight MMA, you might not even know who Margarita is, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I totally hear you here because, and I feel the same way. I mean, Gordon is an unbelievable talent. I mean, in addition to being unbelievable. Yeah. In addition to being hands down the the best active competitor in what he does. The crazy thing about him is at such a young age, he's also an incredible instructor. Very good teacher. Yeah. Yeah. But for whatever reason, either because that's really who he is or due to some misguided attempt at shock marketing, he puts the stuff out into the universe that it just, I, I don't really know what it achieves. I, I think that it is a big part of it is like you said, he, there's ego involved. He feels he can do no wrong. I don't know. I'm not going to try to pretend to get into his head here, but I think that this is the kind of thing where 10, 15 years from now, we're going to hear Gordon Ryan saying, man, I wish I hadn't been like that. <laughs> that would be, that would be great if we do. That would be great. You know, that would be really, really, I, I would love that, you know, but look, I don't even hate Gordon, but, and I know Gordon, right? Like, and I think I made one of his DVDs of him beating me. Um, so, <laughs> you know, but w- whatever. It's it's cool. I, you know, I, I'm not hold. I try really hard not to hold anything against a human because there, mm-hmm. I do believe that everyone is trying to do the best they can do in a moment. Whether that is actually skillful or not is is a different question. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we are we all are where we are. And if I was walking that person's shoes and I had the exact same path, I'd be exactly where they are. That's a whole different conversation on free will. But yeah, yeah. So I try not to hold fault to the person so much. It it lets me give space, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to turn this into a Gordon hate or a Gordon love fest. No, 
I mean, I, I agree with you that I think that people saying they hate Gordon Ryan, and I've heard this a lot, I just can't co-sign on that. I mean, I've never met the man. So for me to pass judgment on him as a human being, just based on a few Instagram stories, it's, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. And I wouldn't feel comfortable carrying that kind of negativity around with me every yeah, day that no. this fucking guy I don't even know is in my head, right? I mean, I don't agree with the way that he conducts himself. I think it can be harmful to the reputation of our sport, right. but I don't question his his greatness as an individual contributor and a competitor. I don't question his greatness as a teacher. I mean, yes, his actions do make me think twice if I want to support him, but at the end of the day, he's, you know, there's multiple sides to a coin, right? There's two sides to a coin and human beings, it's also hard to paint them completely with a single brush. And I don't feel like I'm qualified in condemning some person that I've never even met. So I think that people who say they they hate someone just based on what they see on social media, I think you're putting too much of yourself into it if you if you feel that way. And if you hate someone, you're giving them power over your life. Yes, that's a big part of it too. Even in a further step more than Gordon Ryan, you know, like if we want to get political, like Donald Trump, I don't hate Donald Trump. If I hated Donald Trump, that means he could actually touch my fucking life. Fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yep. Letting go of hate is such an important thing to living a good life. And I, this comes up a lot in business. I mean, it, the act of forgiveness. You brought up a great example of someone who who screwed one of your business partners the and for whatever reason in jujitsu i see this a ton like i don't know if we we all just need to take an ethics course but people are constantly screwing their business partners in jujitsu over like a handful of dollars but the hope is always that at some point like we can we can move on and be our best versions of ourselves and not not be tied down by the baggage that we had elsewhere and i, I do see that in our community as a whole I don't know if it's because everyone's been locked at home talking shit on Instagram for the last year and a half, but it does really seem like our people, people carry more hate in their hearts than I wish they would. I, I would love to, I, I thought, you know, with jujitsu, the thing I love about jujitsu is that to some extent it's a leveler. You can take 30 different people who have nothing in common, get them together, put them on the mats, and they'll all be like best friends by the end of the day. <laughs> and that is one of the lovely things about jujitsu. And that's what I want jujitsu to be. I don't want jujitsu to be a place where it's all tribal and mm -hmm. people say, I hate these other people. It's supposed to be a practice for personal growth that gives us some useful skills and keeps us in shape. And I really don't like seeing people who come into jujitsu and they take the wrong lesson away and they use it as an excuse to, to hate people. Like I, I really think or that- Or to have power. Or to have power, yeah. I sort of feel like if that's your takeaway, you gotta rethink what you're getting out of the sport because it's probably not good for you if it's making you feel hate for people. I agree. Look, I, and I wanna clarify real fast the, the two people who, and I'm not saying their names here, that, that you know, their schools that screwed over them all. I don't hate them. I say hello to them when I see them. I shake their hand. But they, they just, it's a line, you know, you can't be with me. It's a line, right? Yeah. It's, it's just yeah. a line. It's not like I'm like, yo, fuck you, dude. Let's fucking fight. And I used to be, I used to be, but I, I had to, I had to let it go, you know, like, fuck you every time I saw them. And, uh, but that was only affecting me. So I had to let that go. Now I shake their hands. I say hello. And, and, and I have made it cordial, but the, the line, you still can't cross the line. The one has nothing to do with the other. Yeah. And that can be an objective thing, right? I mean, the nice thing about principles is to some extent you can live them objectively. I yeah. had this experience last year where someone that I really know and trust crossed a serious line with me. Mm -hmm. And I had to realize like, I can still love this person. I can still want to respect this person, 
But objectively speaking, I have to acknowledge that a line was crossed. I can't do that again. And objectively speaking, I have to acknowledge that this changes our relationship going forward. I don't have to be mad about it. I don't have to let it ruin my life. But I would be a fool not to learn from this lesson, right? So it's important to understand that you know, standing up for yourself and standing up to bullies and people who who do you wrong, that's different from hating people. You don't have yeah. to take that hate with you. You don't have to, that doesn't have to touch you. Yeah. Anyway, Elliot, thank you so much. I know that you got to run, but I also know that you've got a whole bunch of stuff on the go and I'd like to make sure we give yeah. you an opportunity to plug that. Why didn't you tell everyone where they can find your work? Man, so I have a couple things. I have a, I have a, you know, I have my book, obviously, the the Gospel of Fire, that is on Amazon and Audible. However, you prefer to consume your information. I have a podcast, the Gospel of Fire, everywhere you listen to a podcast. I have another podcast that I started, seconds out. Me and my homie Eric Nixick, head coach Francis Ngannou, 2020 Coach of the Year. We do a podcast together, breaking down fights, talking about the fight game. I have a business platform, Easton Online, where if you think any of this resonated with you for your school, how to do any of this, man, we are there. To, to give you support. So uh, reach out there. I have a personal course. Go to elliotmarshall.com and you can find all of that. Really, if you follow me on Instagram, you're going to see all this shit. So uh, do that. <laughs> and um, and th- th- there's a ton. I-, I do a ton. I don't do it all super skillfully, but I'm doing my best. And I'll also put links to all of that in the show notes. So if any of this resonated, and I'm assuming that some of it will for most of our listeners, go give it a shot. Give Check it out. Give our boy Elliot some support. And of course, give me some support too. Everyone, I think, knows we've got our premium services that we offer. These are the things that ultimately pay my bills, justify all the work that we do here, keep the lights on. You can go to BJJ Mental Models Premium, which you can find at premium.bjjmentalmodels.com. That's our subscription site. There is no one-year lock-in contract. I will allow you to go drink coffee at Starbucks if you sign up there. Please do consider it if you haven't already. Tons of value on there. Fuck uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) the website will tell you everything you need to know premium.bjjmentalmodels.com or you can just toss us a few bucks on patreon too you can do that at patreon.com slash bjjmentalmodels so two great ways to support the show elliot my sincere thanks i'm so glad we got the opportunity to connect i think that this is going to be a really useful chat for the entrepreneurs among us and this is one of the topics that people always ask me about is how do i make a career out of this. And I love the the slant that you've taken about focusing on ethics, focusing on personal improvement. I think that this is great stuff. So thank you so much for coming by and dropping this knowledge with me. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Thanks for dealing with my crazy schedule of up and down and all over the (laughs) fucking place. No problem whatsoever. Open invite if you ever want to come back to, of course. Yeah, let's do it again. You are great. It's a great conversation that you hold and not, not everyone is super skillful at it. So great job. Awesome. Thanks a lot, buddy. And of course, to everyone who takes the time to listen. Thanks a lot. And I'll talk to you guys next time.